God, we thank you again for another opportunity to gather as your people. Lord, I pray as we dive into your word this morning that you would remind us of the words of Jesus in John 15 who said, apart from me, you can do nothing. God, we need that reminder today because, Lord, apart from you, we can't understand this passage. Apart from you, we cannot love you as we ought. God, we cannot do what this passage says without you being at work by your spirit. And so, Lord, our neediness, our inadequacy is is ever before us right now. And so, Lord, we just throw ourselves upon your mercy, asking for your help, Lord, that you would give us your spirit to illuminate our minds. You'd give us wisdom and understanding, Lord, that we would not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we conclude our three-week sermon series on transformation. We've been looking at this topic of how to experience real and lasting change in our lives. In the first week, a couple weeks ago, we just kind of took a step back and we looked at the picture of transformation. We wanted to look at what does this mean and what does this look like in our lives to be transformed by God. And so we reviewed four realities of transformation that morning. We also looked at this definition that we've been using kind of off and on throughout this sermon series. A biblical transformation is the process of the Spirit of God changing an individual into the image of the Son of God as the Word of God reveals the glory of God. I mentioned how we want this whole process of transformation to be God-centered because it is. That God is intimately and powerfully at work in conforming us to the image of Christ and invites us to join in on what he's doing as he uses the word in our lives. So that was the first week. And then last week we looked at the problem of transformation and we considered the danger of spiritual immaturity, the danger of remaining a spiritual infant. And a lot of times that spiritual immaturity is is caused because of a spiritual malnutrition in our lives. It's caused by living by the flesh and not living by the spirit and by not addressing the root issues of sin in our lives. And that causes problems and for our development to be stalled. So this morning, we're going to close out this sermon series by looking at the process of transformation. We're going to get a little bit more practical today, and we're going to try to answer this main question of how can I experience real and lasting change in my life? How can I experience that process of the Spirit of God using the Word of God to change me into the image of the Son of God? How can I experience that process consistently and powerfully in my life. And so Romans 12 is going to help us accomplish that this morning. I've selected this passage very intentionally because I think that Paul does something here in these first two verses that is exactly what this sermon series has been trying to do. Okay, let me just point this out uh, briefly here. In this amazing letter of Romans, this is you know one of my favorite letters, the, the first 11 chapters of Romans, if you've ever read it before, It's just filled with rich theology, right? It's very dense, very deep. Paul is laying a foundation of doctrine, okay? Then when you get to chapter 12 of Romans, in particular, verse 3 and on, okay, chapter 12, verse 3 through chapter 16, Paul just lays out all of these practical exhortations, okay? It's very practical, and he starts to emphasize practice and ethics within the Christian life. And I was thinking about that, and I was looking at Romans 12, 1 and 2, and it's interesting that the way that Paul uses these two verses in Romans 12 
is exactly what we've been talking about in this sermon series. That Paul kind of turns the corner, and by turning the corner here and getting into the practice of the Christian life, he shows the Roman Christians how to bridge the gap between theology and practice. That before he gets into the ethics and how to live out what you know to be true, he gives us some tools of how to close that distance between your theology and actually living out that theology. And I think it's really helpful because that's that space right there, that's where transformation happens when you actually take your theology and you actually live it out in practice. And so as we walk through these two verses, I think Paul is going to help us with understanding the process of transformation by giving us four keys in order to be transformed. So that's how we're going to walk through uh, these two verses here this morning. So four keys to transformation here is key number one, the first part of verse one, and that is to rehearse the gospel. Rehearse the gospel. Paul begins chapter 12, verse one. He says, I appeal to you, therefore. Okay, so he begins with this appeal. Now, the way this is worded in the Greek, this is not a mere suggestion. This is not a a simple encouragement, but there is force kind of behind this phrase here. There is a, a strong exhortation that Paul is laying before us, but notice that this appeal is grounded in something, that Paul roots this appeal in the word therefore. That word therefore is meant to point us back to all that Paul has accomplished and established in chapters 1 through 11 in Romans. Okay, so this appeal has the full force of the entire book of Romans so far before he gives us these instructions and the exhortation. Well, instead of reviewing all chapter, uh, chapters 1 through 11, Paul sums up chapters 1 through 11 by the phrase, mercies of God. It's really a, a simple and a helpful way of summing up Romans 1 through 11. God is merciful. Let me give you a couple examples of mercy-heavy passages in Romans. Romans chapter 8, 1, Paul says that therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No more condemnation, that's mercy. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, because of your faith in Jesus, you are now justified. You now have peace with God. That's mercy. Okay, Romans chapter 5, verse 6, Paul talks about how while we were still sinners and enemies and weak, that's when Christ died for us. Christ died for the ungodly. That is mercy. So Paul has been talking about the mercy of God, which is really best demonstrated and most evident in the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us as he took our place. And so Paul, before he even gets to the exhortation here, grounds his instructions and this appeal in the mercy of God in the gospel of Jesus. Now, Paul could have skipped that phrase. Like, he could have just gotten right into present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Why does he ground this appeal in the mercy of God in the gospel of Jesus? Well, I think it's because Paul understood that the key to continual and lasting transformation is really in the continual rediscovery of the gospel of Jesus. Like Paul doesn't want us to to quickly move on from all that he's established about God being merciful in Jesus in Romans 1 through 11 and just have us start to, to, to behave rightly without missing the power behind our behavior and our obedience. See, Paul understood that the gospel unleashes this power into our lives 
that rescues us from the dominion of sin, and by rehearsing the gospel, we can actually be freed from the presence of sin more and more. See, a lot of things happen in the gospel of Jesus when you receive it and when you believe upon it. Uh, immediately, once you believe upon the gospel of Jesus, what he's accomplished for you, the power of sin in your life is broken. Those chains are broken. You're no longer a slave to sin, but you're a slave to righteousness. So the dominion of sin is gone. But not only that, but through rehearsing the gospel and living out the gospel truths practically in your life, the presence of sin that we still wage war against diminishes more and more. The more that you remember and live out what Jesus has accomplished on the cross, the more that you're actually transformed into his likeness. And so Paul, who's trying to, remember, bridge the gap between our theology and practice, says that you need to be in view of God's mercy, remember God's mercy, because that's the power that can bridge this gap. Peter says something similar in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. This is the, the passage where Peter says that you've been given everything you need for life and godliness. And then he lists all of these qualities that you should be pursuing and growing in. He talks about you should be growing in godliness and brotherly affection and steadfastness. Well, he gets to verses 8 and 9 here. And he says this. He says, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. It's the same idea here. What Peter is saying here is when you forget about the gospel, when you forget that your sins have been cleansed by Jesus, you can actually develop a knowledge of Jesus that's unproductive and ineffective. And as a result, you're not growing in these qualities, which one of them being godliness. And so the way that we begin the process of transformation is we believe in the gospel and we continue to rehearse the power of the gospel. That then empowers us to actually obey him. That's what Paul is saying with this phrase, by the mercies of God. You can almost translate this phrase in the Greek, because of God's mercy. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, because of God's mercy. It actually provides the source for the exhortations that follow in verses 1 and 2. So what Paul's essentially saying is, hey, before we get into the practice of Christian life, let me remind you that the power in order to do those things is found in the gospel. It's not primarily found in your own willpower, in your own determination, and in your own discipline, but it's found in the gospel. Now, why is that so important? Why is that so true? Well, it's true because what moves us to action in life is beauty and not duty, right? Like what moves us to doing something is like seeing treasure, seeing something that satisfies, not seeing a to-do list, right? And the most beautiful, the most uh, highest treasure in this world is Jesus Christ ultimately seen in the gospel That's what moves us into action, not seeing a to-do list for us to to accomplish and to cross off the list. That our transformation, the power behind it, is not rooted in our own ability, in our own morality, but it's empowered by the gospel and what we see in Jesus. Thomas Chalmers puts it way better than I could. He says, the best way to overcome the world is not with morality or self-discipline, 
but Christians overcome the world by seeing the beauty and excellence of Christ. That they overcome the world by seeing something more attractive than the world, which is Jesus. That the only way to dispossess our hearts of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one. And that is Jesus. We see Jesus, we rehearse what he's accomplished for us in the gospel, and that not only enables us to obey, but it lifts the burden off of our shoulders from viewing transformation as a means by which we're accepted before God, right? The gospel in Jesus already accomplished that acceptance and that love and that approval. And so now we obey and we pursue transformation because of what Jesus has done in the gospel, not in order to gain it. And that is a game changer in transformation. So we rehearse the gospel. That's key number one. Key number two that Paul, I think, lays out for us in this passage is to resurrender your life. Resurrender your life. Paul very explicitly says in the second half of verse one, he says to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Okay, so Paul is, is painting a picture for us of what holistic worship actually looks like. Okay, it's not worship that's just on Sunday morning. It's not worship that's just about our singing. But the way that we live our lives, every moment of the day, every aspect of our lives should be an act of worship. And so Paul explains how we live that way. And the way that we live as an act of worship is by starting by presenting our bodies in a very specific and particular way, that we present our bodies as living and as holy and as acceptable before God. That's how you begin to live your life as an act of worship. And essentially what Paul is saying in this phrase here is that you should wake up every morning and you should say to God, I am completely yours today. Like you should wake up and say, God, I surrender every area of my life to you. I submit myself to your agenda, to your will. God, use anything in my life to transform me into the image of Christ. You should wake up every morning singing that song that we, just, that we just sung about. Take my life, everything, it's all of yours. And we live in that reality as we present our bodies before him. That's what it means to, to surrender your life. And, and I appreciate the, the terminology here that Paul uses the, when he talks about presenting your bodies. That, that phrase there was really reserved for what priests would do for offering up a sacrifice. That a priest would, would present this animal, would present this sacrifice upon the altar. And priests, just to state the obvious, would not cut off the leg and put it on there. He would not just cut off the arm, but no, he, he would put the whole animal on the altar. Every aspect of that animal was sacrificed before God. That's what Paul's calling us to. Every arena of our life, we surrender before God as an act of worship. Look, I just want to press in here a little bit because I think that this might be a major reason why some of us have a stalled transformation in our lives, that we don't offer every area of our life to God. There's some areas or there's some things that are unhealthy or sinful that we just kind of say, no, God, that's, that's not yours yet. That, that's mine still. Like, hands off, God. You, you can change this, this, and this, but you can't touch this area of my life. And if you have that mindset, and, and of course, we don't say that to God, but that's kind of how we live at times. But if you have that mindset, that's not fully surrendering your life 
That's not an act of worship that's living, that's holy, and acceptable before God. And in fact, it's, it's probably evidence that you're not doing the first key in the transformation process. You're not rehearsing the gospel. See, when you rehearse the gospel and you praise God for what he saved you from, that's going to loosen the grip that you have around the sin or different areas of your life that you're not surrendering to him. Like this might be some of our key action points in this whole sermon series. I've been praying that the Spirit of God would, would reveal certain areas of our lives that we're still holding, you know, closed-fisted. We're saying, God, you can't touch this aspect. You can't touch my marriage. Or you can't touch my checkbook. Or you can't touch my purity. Or whatever else it is. And that God, through this sermon series, through the Word of God, would just slowly loosen the grip that you have around those lives and say, God, I'm going to fully surrender everything because I want to present all of me before you as an act of worship. So we need to surrender our lives. We have to have that attitude in the process of transformation. Here's number three here. The third key aspect of uh, this process of transformation is to resist being molded by the world. Resist being molded by the world. So we have rehearsed the gospel. We have re-surrender our lives before God daily. And here we have resist being molded by the world. Verse two, Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. Okay, now let's talk about what this means a little bit. Paul does not, he's not saying here to leave the world or go live up in the mountains or the hills and totally avoid the world. No, Paul is saying do not be conformed by it. The NIV translates it as do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, that we are called to live in this world but not be of this world. And I think that the way that we do this is by recognizing the patterns of this world, the, the principles and the desires and the agendas and the ideologies of this world, and we are to identify what aspects of the world is harming my relationship with the Lord and what aspects of this world is helping my relationship with the Lord. And we're to kind of participate in that space of thinking through aspects of this world that can actually help or damage our relationship with Jesus. And the way that Paul talks about here is that there is a, a conforming pressure that the world has on us on a daily basis. I know you feel this because I feel this every single day, that they want to kind of squeeze us into the mold of looking just like the world as if we're Plato. And we need to be aware of the agenda of the world that we live in, that it opposes the things of God. And look, there are different aspects of the world. Don't get me wrong. There are aspects of the world that are obviously sinful that we need to avoid. There are other aspects of the world that are good and encouraging and uplifting because of God's common grace. But then there's this other aspect of the world that's more gray. Like it's not entirely or clearly sinful, but it may not be helpful in your relationship with the Lord. And I think it's in that arena that we need to engage in the battle of our transformation and understand that the things in this world are not neutral. Like there is a current and there is an agenda of the world that wants to push us in one direction or the other. A few years ago, Pastor Mark Vrogop, who's the pastor at the main campus of College Park Church, used a really helpful illustration about the Christian life that just resonated with me. He talked about how the Christian life it's kind of like you're going up a going down escalator. And if you've ever seen that or, you know, you've seen someone try to do that, 
or if you've got little kids who think it's, that's a fun game at the crowded airport before they almost die, um, like, you see that image, and it's like, yeah, like, that's how it feels like in the Christian life. Like, you feel like you're constantly going against the stream and the current of this world, and we're called to wage war. Like, that, that's what the Christian life is. It's a struggle, and it is a battle. Don't fall into the mindset that just because you're saved, just because you're converted, that you can just take it easy. You can just kind of coast in the Christian life as if you're on the going up escalator, and that's the way that you're going to get to heaven. No, the way that you live out the Christian life is because you're living in the world, the escalator is going down, and that escalator is crowded. It's filled with people of this world that have no idea that the the destination is God's judgment, and yet the growing Christians are the ones who are constantly struggling going up as they wrestle with not being conformed by the patterns of this world. Look, you need to be reminded this morning that we have a real enemy who the Bible describes as a roaring lion, and he's seeking to devour somebody. Think about that for a moment. Like, lions, like, they're, they're out there wild. Like, they're not tame. Like, they don't want to just be friends with you. They see you out, but they want to kill you, right? Like, that's the posture of our enemy, and he uses all kinds of different strategies and tactics in order to destroy and compromise this process of transformation. You need to be aware that there is an enemy and a spiritual world and dimension that's coming for your faith and coming for your transformation. Not only that, as we looked at last week, we have the flesh that we're still waging war against. Like the flesh is still doing battle against the spirit of God. So even as you're thinking and feeling different things, you need to be aware of that. And then, of course, we live in the world that directly oppose the things of God. And you think about all that, and you're like, man, this is a a downward escalator. Like, I'm constantly being barded, and that's normal. Like, that is the Christian life, is this constant battling and waging war against the things that want to take you down spiritually. Look, if you're, if you're not struggling, if you're not waging war, I can almost guarantee it that you are not growing as a follower of Jesus. Spiritual maturity is not that the Christian life gets easier. You can ask any seasoned saint in the room. It actually gets harder. Your sin gets more revealed. The battle gets more intense, and you need to wage war. Look, when you put your head down on the pillow at night, and you think about the day, and you might feel physically exhausted, you might feel mentally or emotionally exhausted, as a growing Christian, you should also feel a dimension of being spiritually exhausted at well because you've been in war all day. You've been battling against the enemy, against the flesh, and against the world. You need to resist being molded by the world. That's the third key, the third aspect. Here's the last one this morning, and I think maybe the most helpful as we think about the process of change, the process of uh, transformation. We've talked about the renewal of the mind a little bit each of the last couple of weeks. Kind of take a deeper dive here. As Paul says in uh, uh, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You look at all four aspects, all four keys, and they're really leading up to this idea of being transformed. This word in the Greek of transformed is where we get the word metamorphosis from. And so I know different things pop into your mind, but you can think about a caterpillar that's being transformed into a beautiful butterfly. And you think about that process, like that doesn't happen overnight, but it's a slow process. Sometimes you don't see a lot of progress within that caterpillar's life, but the end result 
is that it becomes this beautiful butterfly. Look, that is an accurate description of the Christian life. Like as you're renewing your mind, as you're engaging in the battle, like sometimes you don't see a lot of progress each and every day. And yet throughout the process of submitting to what God has for you, he's changing you into the beauty of the image of Jesus. And so the renewing of the mind is central to that process as Paul points out. The renewing of the mind, this is an ongoing, continual process of exposing your mind to the things of God more and more. That the more that you expose yourself to the things of God, the more that the end of verse 2 will be taking place in your life. He says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that, or that, here's the purpose of that, or the end result, by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What Paul is saying here is when you engage in the renewal of the mind, you will be transformed so that you'll have the ability to discern what is best. You'll be able to discern God's will. You'll be able to see what decision to make here, what decision to make there, and you'll be able to walk in obedience to God's will. But the central aspect of that process is what happens up here, that the war of your transformation is won in the battleground of your mind. And this mind renewal, it's basically the ability to assess and value things according to the things of God. That when you're renewing your mind according to the things of God, it can actually act as an early warning system, almost like a spiritual filter. It can detect temptation before you fall into it, and it's completely central to the process of transformation. This thing is all over the New Testament. We saw it in Ephesians chapter 4 a couple weeks ago. It's even in 1 Peter 1, uh, verses 13 through 15, where Peter talks about the centrality of the mind in our transformation, where he calls us to make sure that our minds are alert, that our minds are fully sober, that our minds, that it's set, we've set our hope on the grace that's in Jesus. And then he says, as a result, you'll avoid conforming to the evil desires. Okay, so Look, the war is up here. If you can win this, that will impact your desires and that will impact how you live out the things that you know to be true. Let me just illustrate this further by um, using an illustration of the airport just to explain the role of the mind. I want you to think about the airport for a moment. I want you to think about not, you know, the stress of packing, getting through security and boarding and plane. Just think about for a moment all the things that have to go right in order for there not to be any collisions of the planes. Right? If you think about all the decisions that go in, there's so many planes coming in, going out, so many decisions that need to be made. And in order for everything to run smoothly, like there has to be great success and, and people to be fully alert in the control tower. Right? Now, I've never been in the control tower before, but I know that the control tower is in charge of the order and the flow of, of the, the traffic that's going up in the air with the airplanes. I know they're in charge of, of setting kind of the miles per hour of the, the speed of the planes. And their role is to avoid any type of collisions and crashes. Now, again, I've not been in the control tower, but I can guarantee you that they're not watching college basketball this weekend as they're directing planes, right? Like that control tower, I can almost guarantee you, is free of distractions. It's free of, of that room being cluttered or anything that would get in the way of their purpose and the task that is at hand. Look, that is the role of your mind in the Christian life. 
You have all of these decisions coming in, going out, all of these things before you, and the role of your mind is exactly that control tower that's in charge of processing things correctly so that you can make decisions that move you further down the path of being transformed into the likeness of Christ. And the question you have to wrestle with is, is your mind cluttered with the things of the world? Is your mind free of of distraction? Or is there so much going on there that the things of God, the word of God, the promises of God are getting choked out and you're being conformed into the image of the world instead of the image of the Son of God? You've got to win the battle in your mind. And with the couple of minutes that we have left this morning, I want to just show us three ways that we can renew the mind, kind of three ways that we can win the battle in our minds. They all start with C, so hopefully they're easy to remember. But here are three ways that we can renew the mind practically as we think about transformation. Here's the first thing, is to take every thought captive. Take every thought captive. Captive. I love what Paul has to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. He says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. How? By taking every thought captive to obey Christ. Look, if you want to renew your mind, you have to develop the spiritual muscle of taking your thoughts captive. And this is something that is counterintuitive. Look, it is is normal to kind of go with the current of the day and just to have uh, every thought that pops in and just to kind of go with the flow. But if you want to grow into the likeness of Jesus, you've got to be able to identify the thoughts that are going on in your mind and be able to discern how it's impacting your desires and the decisions that you make. You have hundreds of thoughts and proposals and promises and invitations that come in and go out of your mind on a daily basis. And for you to be a growing Christian, you have to be aware of the battleground of your mind on a daily occurrence. It's going to take self-awareness, and it'll take self-inspection, You cannot mindlessly go through the motions throughout the day thinking that you're going on that upward escalator, but to be reminded that escalator is going down and you've got things that could compromise the process of you becoming more and more like Jesus. If this is new to you this morning, if you're uh, hearing this maybe for the first time, you're thinking, well, how do I start? How do I exercise that spiritual muscle? Just to encourage you to start journaling and in particular to journal your thoughts. Maybe right before you go to sleep at night, you're kind of maybe taking a top 10 list of thinking, what were the top 10 thoughts of today that really impacted and dictated my behavior? And as you look at those thoughts, maybe you can start to categorize them that led you into temptation, that really had a big impact upon your life, or led you towards obedience in the Lord. That will start um, training your mind and training your heart to take thoughts captive and to be aware of what's going on up here. So take thoughts captive. Number two here, the second C in renewing our mind, is to actually challenge those thoughts, right? So you're, you're becoming aware of them, but the second step is you're starting to evaluate them, right? You're thinking through, like, is this pushing me towards Christ or is this pushing me away? And I think at this point in time, you're starting to, to interact with those thoughts. You're challenging, you know, if you're being tempted, you're challenging the false promise that the temptation is offering you. You're questioning it. 
If, if you're being tempted with the thought of lust, you can start to talk back to the lust and say, lust, what will this provide for me in terms of satisfaction that's greater than what Jesus offers me in the gospel, right? You, you don't need to be a slave to your thoughts, but you can start to talk back to it. And I just want to reiterate the point here that you need to be preaching to yourself. You need to be talking back to yourself all throughout the day because as Paul Tripp would say, no one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. You are constantly hearing, maybe from the flesh, maybe from the world around you, certain sermons throughout the day that your heart is tempted to believe. And some of those sermons are anti-gospel. They're against what the Bible has to say. You need to develop the ability to talk back to those messages, to preach a better message, one that's rooted in the gospel, as you're able to identify the thoughts that come into your mind. Look, a great way to see what this looks like practically in the scriptures is to even do like a case study comparison between Genesis chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 4. Genesis chapter 3 is obviously the, the fall of man, where you have Eve, who's interacting with the serpent there, and if you notice, she fails to take thoughts captive when the serpent tries to whisper in her ear. She fails to challenge what he has to say and compare what he is saying with the truth of Scripture, and so as a result, she falls into temptation. And when you compare that to what happened in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, it's completely different. Jesus is alone with, with Satan, and Satan tries to you know, convince him of things. He's making false promises. He's trying to you know, lure him away and, and tempt him into sin. If you notice what Jesus does there, he does these two C's. He takes these thoughts captive, and he challenges what Satan has to say with the truth of Scripture. He responds everything to what he says with what the Bible actually says. And look, we need to follow that pattern on a daily basis. We need to be able to look those thoughts of pride and envy and jealousy and lust and fear and anxiety. You need to look them in the eye with the power of Scripture and compare and challenge whatever they're offering you with what Jesus offers you in the gospel. You need to be able to discern what is behind these temptations by interacting with them with using Scripture. And so we take them captive, we challenge. Here's the last C, is to channel those thoughts. Channel your thoughts towards the beauty and the power of Jesus in the gospel. You need to be able to funnel your thoughts before Jesus in order to avoid just being behaviorist, in order to avoid just modifying our behavior, becoming moralists. But we want to process everything by the lens of the gospel. And what I mean by that is taking all of these thoughts and comparing it to what Jesus says who we are in Christ because the gospel is true. And so we're constantly kind of bringing these thoughts before the feet of Jesus and comparing it to what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross. That channeling our thoughts to Jesus will actually do something to our desires and our affections. It will help take our theology and move it down into our hearts so that it grows our worship before him. Let me give you a practical example of, of of how this might play out as you're trying to take thoughts captive, you're trying to challenge them, and you're trying to channel them before Christ. Let's say you're, you're going throughout the day, and maybe a coworker or a friend, family member, whoever it is, says something or does something, 
and you can kind of feel and you start to have these thoughts of anger starting to grow, right? You can almost feel your, your blood boiling, right? And you're beginning to get these thoughts of reacting to whatever happened to you, okay? Now, the first step, if you want to renew your mind, is to identify that thought coming into your mind, right? Like, that is step number one. Like, sometimes we just kind of go through life, and something happens, and we automatically respond and react, and we kind of move on. Like, we're enslaved to that. And so step one is to identify, hold up, there's something going on within my mind, within my heart, that might be leading me towards responding in an angry and sinful way. And so you want to be aware of that thought, identify it, take it captive, and then you want to begin to challenge it. Right? When that thought comes in and you're, you're thinking, wow, this is leading me towards a sinful response, you need to challenge it with the truth of Scripture. You need to talk back to it and say, hold up, anger. Like, anger is not going to produce the righteousness of God in my life like I'm supposed to. Maybe you're thinking about Colossians 3, 5 through 8, where Paul says to put to death a list of things and one of them being anger. And you think, okay, I need to put to death that because of Colossians 1 through 3. Because I'm hidden in Jesus. Because my life is now in Jesus completely. And so now you're moving to that third C of of bringing your thoughts before Jesus and what he's accomplished for you in the gospel. And you're reminding and rehearsing the reality that you are in Jesus. Now you need to become what you already are in him. And throughout that process of, of wrestling and using scripture practically, You will avoid the temptation of walking in anger and walking in a sinful way and renewing your mind in the process. We go through that dozens of times throughout the day as we're more and more aware of the thoughts going on in our mind. John Piper says this about the mind. He says that the theological mind exists to throw logs into the furnace of our affections for Jesus. That it begins with with right thinking, right thinking leads to right desiring, which then leads to right living. So we take our thoughts captive, we challenge them, we channel them, and as we do, our our minds are renewed, they're reconfigured, and they're realigned towards the things of God so that we're able to do exactly what he says at the second half of verse 2. Look, for the Christian, the mind is the battleground of the Christian life. Just want to remind you, you're going up a going down escalator, and you need to engage in the battle that's happening on a daily basis basis. Look, we have the Spirit of God who's at work in our lives, as we heard in Chris's testimony, who's using the Word of God, who's using different experiences in our lives to conform us into the image of the Son of God. And I just want to encourage you that he's inviting you into that process as he's mightily at work. Well, as we close this morning, it's always hard to kind of close up a sermon series, especially the last couple of weeks where I feel like we've talked about so much I just want to close by giving us four summary action steps that, you know, that you would walk away from this sermon series thinking, okay, here are four things that I can do in this process of being transformed into the image of Christ. I'll hit these briefly since we've touched on them already. Here's number one, is you have to, you have to, this is a non-negotiable, you have to establish a daily routine of alone time with God. Like, this has to be something in your life where It's a must-do, right? It's not just a can-do or I should-do. This is a must-do, as if it's on the same list or maybe greater than brushing your teeth or taking a shower every day. Like, you have to do this because of what's at stake. And maybe that's a bad example. Maybe you don't brush your teeth every day. But, 
But you've got to create this rhythm of saying, look, nothing is going to touch this time with the Lord. Like, and like if you've got young kids, like, like I do, I understand the, the difficulty of this, and, and, and maybe this goes against your philosophy of parenting, but first thing in the morning, you're up early, like you've set this great game plan, and yet somehow the kid still wakes up early in the morning, right? And you're like, oh my goodness, now what do I do? Like, I just want to almost encourage you to say, hey, you know what? It's going to be 30 minutes of Sesame Street right now. And, and I just need this time for me to spend time with the Lord because for me to be the best father that I can be, I have to spend time in the Word. And so if that means 30 minutes of screen time, like, I'm going to do that right now, right here. That might go against some of your parenting philosophies, but I'm saying as your pastor, the non-negotiable is drenching your soul in the Word of God that will impact you in ways that you may not see at first, but you have to make that a non-negotiable. Or if you've got a spouse who's home with you, say, hey, I'm going to watch the kids. You spend time with the Lord and then we'll switch. Or whatever you want to do, this has to be a non-negotiable. You cannot, you cannot make excuses for missing time with the Lord. There is no good excuse for skipping this time in the Word. You've got to feed yourself and you've got to grow in the power of God's word. So establish that routine. Secondly, we talked about this last week. Identify the root issues of sin in your life and replace it with the gospel. Right? We saw the dangers of just addressing symptoms last week. You've got to be able to continue this process of figuring out why you do what you do beneath the surface that's driving some of the symptoms that's in your life. And then identify those roots and then replace it with the greater power, which is the gospel of Jesus. Number three here, we talked about this this morning, is to engage in the battle of your mind on a daily basis, you know, developing those three C's as a spiritual muscle. The more that you do them, the better that you'll get at them. And then the last one here, which we really haven't talked a lot about, is to participate in accountability within community. Okay, I want to emphasize within community because Sometimes when we have accountability where you're not doing life with them, sometimes it's easier to hide things in your life because they're not seeing all of you, right? You can, you can be kind of, um, you know, you can hide certain things or not be fully transparent because you know that they don't see that in your life. And so just to encourage you to find people in your life, whether it's a spouse or people in your small group or someone you're doing discipleship with, who can be able to ask you those hard questions. Are you rehearsing the gospel? Are you addressing the root issues? And hopefully they know the root issues so they can get more specific. Are you doing the three C's? And, and you've got somebody who's praying for you, who's being able to intercede for you on a daily basis so that you can continue in the process of transformation. Look, as we close this morning, I, my prayer has been that, that God would fill your heart with hope that you can change, that maybe you've had a particular area of your life that you've always struggled with, and that this is the season where God wants to give you victory. This is the season where you have that breakthrough of, of saying, yes, I'm going to submit and surrender all of this to the Lord, and I'm going to do the hard work of going up that going down escalator on a daily basis. My prayer has also been that you would have clarity to know how to do this and how to engage every single day. We have one more song to sing this morning. It's called Do It Again. It's one of my favorites. And in the song, it talks about how you know, God has been able to move mountains and I always sing that song, and I think about how God made a way when there was no way with my salvation. Like, only God can move the mountain of my sin and save me. And, like, I just want us to sing that song this morning as kind of a closure for our sermon series, that if God can move the mountain of your sin, 
in your salvation that he can move the mountain within your sanctification process and having you become more and more like Jesus. That he is mightily at work. He has a vested interest in you looking more like Jesus. He's given you everything you need for life and godliness, and he will do it again and again as you submit yourself to the Lord. Let me pray, and then we'll stand and sing together. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for the hope that is found in Jesus Thank you that the gospel not only saves us, but transforms us. God, we thank you that we're not alone in this journey of of transformation. Lord, I pray for um, those who get discouraged, like all of us in this process of transformation, when when we try to grow and yet we, we still have sin in our lives. God, I pray that you would remind us of your promises, remind us of your faithfulness, that your promise still stands. So God, help us to sing this morning as prayers for you. In Jesus' name, amen.